Many of us living in the Northern Hemisphere are all too familiar with the sight of leaves gradually changing from green to red, orange, brown, and eventually falling down. When we see this, we all know that it's a sign of winter on its way and a matter of time before the snow and cold arrives. For many out there, winter not only brings snow but also a loss of energy, trouble sleeping, and feelings of hopelessness. Today we will be discussing seasonal affective disorder, also known as SAD, and how weather impacts our mental and physical health. This is the Public Health Insight Podcast. Hi, my name is Will, and I'm here today with the usual team of Ben, Gordon, LaShawn, Linda, and Sully. Before we move on, it is important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not represent any of the organizations we work for or are affiliated with. Please note that this episode will cover topics related to depression, suicide, and mental health struggles and may contain sensitive or triggering content. If you or someone you love has been impacted by suicide, you are not alone. Please use your discretion when listening and connect to supports as needed. For our listeners in Canada, Crisis Services Canada offers a National Suicide Prevention Hotline, which can be reached at 1-833-456-4566 or by texting at 45645. All right, team. So as always, we like to start off our episodes by introducing the topic. So today we'll be talking about seasonal affective disorder, also known as SAD. Yeah, so one thing that um, I learned while researching this topic is that it's actually considered um, a type of depression mm. um, rather than you know just something that individuals feel, which I previously thought, you know, when people say seasonal affective disorder, I thought, oh, you know, it's, it's kind of just... You know, like the term you know, states, winter blues, I thought it's something that's kind of just, you know, thrown around people, like a, like a social construct even, you know. Right, right. But um, the Mayo mm-hmm. Clinic clearly defines um, seasonal affective disorder as a type of depression that's related to the changes in seasons. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, typically, I think people are more familiar with what's called um, the winter pattern um, sad, which is... Mm usually begins around um, the same time around a fall um, early winter and continues throughout the winter months and eventually goes away during the early spring and summer time where you know the suns the days get longer Mm. but actually there's another form of which is less common form of of sad which affects um, people in the spring and summer months and ends Mm. in the fall and this is called the summer pattern sad so um yeah i just thought that was quite interesting um that you know it's Mm. it's not as it's as rigid as I previously thought that only something that has to do with, with winter, but it's something that, you know, maybe has an inherent um, you know, seasonal clock aspect right. to it. Right. Yeah. It's like it's the, by nature, it's just um, the, ter- the seasonal part of it just comes from, you know, the relative period of onset every year is pretty stable um, that whether it's summer or winter, it's just something that kind of hits um, someone at certain times of year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think another component of it is that it was like formally uh, recognized in the 1980s. And even before then within history, we've seen it pop up um, in texts where people describe, you know, having those winter blues, quote unquote, during um, the winter season. So it's interesting how we're still learning more about it. Like initially I said, you know, maybe it's just all based on sunlight. But now we can see that there's a version of it in the spring, the summer where there's plenty of sunlight. So what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And that's an interesting point you bring up, Ben, because it was only more recently, like you mentioned, in the 1980s, when the person who actually coined the the term um, seasonal affective disorder, his name was Norman Rosenthal. And so 
Um, his story kind of went like this. So he moved to the United States after living as a native South African um, for a period of time. And he noticed that when he moved, he felt less productive in the winter. Um, but when things were re- returned back in the spring, um, he returned back to quote unquote normal. So he's been doing work with the National Institutes of Health in the US, and he's done a lot of research in melatonin um, and how uh, melatonin and suppressed melatonin because of light impacts your circadian rhythm. So, in terms of sad, um, you know, I think there's obviously there's it's one of those things that um, I think is how the, how the condition affects individuals is very different. But you know, some of the common signs and symptoms of sad include things like. Um, that are that are also commonly associated with major depression, right? Things such as losing interest in activities one um, might have once enjoyed, having lower energy, mm-hmm. um, problems sleeping, mm-hmm. um, and I, th- I found it very interesting through the research that winter pattern sad versus summer pattern sad had very specific symptoms um, depending on which time of year and what season was being affected. So, you know, for example, the winter pattern um, often individuals experienced oversleeping mm-hmm. or hypersomnia, um, mm-hmm. overeating. Um, and whereas the summer pattern, um, the individual experienced trouble sleeping um, and poor appetite. So I, yeah, I found that really interesting. Um, that you know, it's it's almost kind of like an opposite in a way for the symptoms that people might experience in winter versus summer. And I, mm-hmm. and I wonder if temperature is a, like a confounding variable for that. Like for example, some of the summer sad symptoms are irritability, anxiety, like restlessness. And there has been some studies where show like if you're in a hotter environment you're more irritable versus being in a colder environment, mm. right? So it's, mm-hmm. a, it's, it's so complicated in terms of trying to, trying to tease out what exactly are symptoms, what are the histories of these people, how can we help and target interventions? Yeah. yeah. You know, I wanted to point out that when I was doing a lot of my research for this episode, I found that there actually was a distinction between um, seasonal affective disorder compared to um, winter blues. Is there is there something that kind of um, distinguishes the two terms yeah so um this is to my understanding i, I want to say that seasonal affective disorder is more of a clinical diagnostic correct right it's um mm-hmm. as mentioned earlier it is considered a type of depression mm-hmm. whereas winter blues um how I, I understand it is that it may or may not be clinically um diagnosed mm-hmm. it you know sometimes people can kind of just say they have winter blues and i've find that you know when i was looking up um the term and just doing the research there wasn't a lot of concrete um you know agreed upon data um Mm -hmm. and symptoms Mm -hmm. as to like what like what would be um what would constitute as winter blues so that's that's kind of what i thought anyone anyone else had any have any comments i see winter blues as you know that feeling when you wake up and it's dark and then you come home from work and it's dark and you're just like when am I ever going to see sunlight again? And it's so cold and it's that overall general feeling of, okay, mm-hmm. it's winter. Um, but once mm-hmm. that is something that's persistent mm-hmm. and it's like impacting your daily life, perhaps then it could drift a little more into sad, like seasonal affective disorder. Right. And part of the clinical definition too, I believe, is over a period of two years for it to be considered chronic where it's considered a disorder. Mm-hmm. And um, winter blues is probably just um, if you're experiencing just a few of the symptoms of, of you know, whether it's uh, winter onset or summer onset. Um, and it's not like a part of an overall chronic debilitating condition. So 
I do think it's normal to feel winter blues to an extent. I mean, I'm sure we all have that feeling when you look outside and you're like, oh man, like I have to brush the snow off my car and, mm-hmm. you know, it's cold. So I, I don't want to mm-hmm. pathologize that too much, mm-hmm. but to feel like winter blues to an extent. Um, but definitely, Gordon, like you're saying, if it's chronic and persistent, then we can get more to a clinical diagnosis. Yeah, and I think it's, as we mentioned um, at the beginning of this episode, you know, I think it's it's a very good point, Linda, that you brought up um, that, you know, if, and Gordon. So I think it's, it's something that's very natural, I would say, part of our just our human nature is that previously, let's say the sun would be up till, you know, in the winter, summer times, it'd be up till 8 or 9 p.m. And in the winter times, it's like pitch black at 4.30. I think there's mm-hmm. a certain part of our, our, our body and just our nature where it's like, dang, this is, you know, it's not ideal. But I think, you know, if, the key point is that if it is something that's ongoing and you are seeing um whether in yourself or your loved ones or those around you um, aspects of their daily life being drastically changed or affected we, we mm-hmm. once again like to stress that this it's important that you reach out to the appropriate services um you know to to seek help and professional help that's that's cool because i wonder if there's any evolutionary kind of reason why we experience the winter blues because i'm thinking i guess if we're not thinking about modern humans and we're thinking about, you know, sunlight played a huge role in um, the ability for individuals to go out hunting, gathering. And so you would think that when it's more, um, when it's dark at outside, will there, will you be safe yeah. when you're going to do these activities? So maybe energy preservation as well. Exactly. So maybe it's mm-hmm. kind of a sign that the body is showing, you know what, um, there's not a lot of sunlight out. I'm going to, maybe the body's response is to be a bit more groggy and sleepy i I would argue against that Mm. actually because my perspective is this if we're going back to evolution natural instincts it's within those winter months where you know food is scarce where you need to be at your top peak of performance to find food and hunter gather and make sure that you're okay to survive the winter Mm. so that that's interesting that would be my perspective right like that's when it's fight or flight you're always on time so maybe you have like chronic stress and that fatigue may contribute to these disruption depression symptoms but i think that's a whole other tangent yeah but we're also keeping in context the fact that we are looking at seasonality and during the winter months we typically get less sunlight and so those during those periods that's what we're talking about with uh, seasonal affective disorder and keep in mind with um this stuff too there's levels to it right so um there's a lot of things that affect um which geographical regions get more sunlight right so if you're closer to the equator um seasonality is less important if you're further away Mm -hmm. like we are in canada seasonality becomes more important so um Mm -hmm. it's not it's definitely not kind of you can't really make a lot of generalizations um even with the example of Mm -hmm. evolution um but it it does seem like you know we know for example sleep that it does have an evolutionary function and we don't know a lot about seasonal affective disorders so, so it's unclear kind of what exactly the role this played in kind of uh, the beneficial role of um, having these kind of symptoms of energy preservation and sleep during the winter but like more research is definitely needed for sure 
Yeah, because yeah, as we know, the decrease in sunlight may disrupt your body's mm -hmm. internal clock mm -hmm. when you go and talk mm -hmm. about biological clocks and circadian rhythms. And we know that leads to feelings of depression. Mm -hmm. But I think mm -hmm. the uh, whole evolution thing could be argued either way. And definitely yeah. less sunlight means less vitamin D. And I believe I read somewhere that said majority of people in North America are deficient in vitamin D just because of, you know, where we live in terms of the latitude and... Mm -hmm sun um right. but especially if you have darker skin your vitamin d levels are lower um due to just your melanin levels so mm -hmm. correct um we should all be taking supplements yeah i mean talk after to your doctor yes but <laughs> <laughs> yeah straight up take supplements yeah. and, and after the doctor and also yeah. like, um, there's <laughs> also, yeah also there's a myth too like um not to get sorry will you can bring us back whenever you're ready but um you know um, unprotected exposure to sunlight is you need to get vitamin D. That's not true. Um, you only need a couple minutes a day of, of sunlight to get your daily vitamin D dose. So um, there's kind of a mis misconception that you have to trade off protecting mm -hmm. your skin um, to get the necessary mm -hmm. sun exposure that you need. And that's not true. Right. And uh, we will be covering that topic in a future episode. So stay <laughs> tuned. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I think we had some great discussions there, but um, kind of going back to um, what Sean mentioned earlier with melatonin levels and, you know, um, also comments about the biological clock, the circadian rhythm. I think these are, um, at least from the literature and from the research, so, um, appears to be some of um, the factors that come into play um, affecting and causing seasonal affective disorder. Um you know, maybe, you know, we can expand on, on these or if anyone has any additional points, like I think Linda's point about vitamin D deficiency is also, um, I also saw that in, in the research saying, um, you know, having a playing a big part in, in causing um, SAD. But mm -hmm. yeah, any open the floor here to see if anyone has any other um, you know, comments or factors here. What I found interesting was that, mm -hmm. you know, you had mentioned serotonin and in general, we know serotonin is lack of serotonin is a factor for depression um, but what I found interesting was that reduced sunlight leads to a drop in serotonin that can then trigger depression mm -hmm. and seasonal affective disorder but I didn't know that there was that relationship between sunlight and serotonin um, and so now it when I when I put that together it just makes so much sense it's well of course people experience depression in the winter time if you know we're getting less sunlight if you already are someone who may have lower serotonin levels or who is just already, you know, predisposed to experiencing mm. depression, then mm -hmm. this time of year will be extremely difficult, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's a very good point. I think one of the things um, that I was, as as we've all you know, researched and looked up this topic is that it's, I think it's just like a, like a, like a wow moment. It was like when I realized how much um, well, i guess how little we actually understand about this topic because mm -hmm. you know everything about vitamin d this deficiency and, and melatonin and serotonin all that stuff it's it seems to to kind of make sense when you're looking at the winter pattern sad mm. right but how it's like and then when i kind of bring in the summer um pattern it's it's like how does how does that fit in because in the summertime that's when we have the most sun mm. and you know mm -hmm. how how are you know, if, if, if there's already a lot of sunlight there, how's, you know, it's, anyways, it's, it just kind of got me thinking and I just realized, wow, this. <laughs> no, that's a good point, man, because. <laughs> we know you know so little. It's a good yeah. point because it's like, it's almost like when you dig into things deeper in terms of the underlying causes for each one, is, is it like an entirely different disease almost that just happens to also be seasonal? You know, it's just, it makes you think you're, you're 100% right. 
I'm wondering, as you know, like our body adapts to different types of conditions uh, depending where you live, right? Um, mm-hmm. And like our bodies adapt like generation after generation once we live in these conditions. Um, is there any research that talks about uh, like any differences between populations in the same location, mm-hmm. say immigrants, newcomers versus uh, uh, versus people who are already there? Who might have adapted? Mm. You, you trying to do a PhD? <laughs> <laughs> it's a PhD I question can... right there. <laughs> uh, that's, that's very interesting. I, I mean, um, anyone have anything? Uh, yeah, I actually, I actually have something. So, in research for this episode, I came across some some kind of studies that talked about how, in some Scandinavian countries, um, where there's kind of lower levels of sunlight, um, you don't get this kind of level of expected seasonal affective disorder that you expect from such low levels of sunlight. Mm-hmm. So it suggests that there, like Will kind of touched on it, there, there has to be other factors um, besides sunlight that play a role in um, winter blues or seasonal um, affective disorder. Um, and um, not much is known about this disorder, unfortunately, and more research is needed. That's why um, Sully... <laughs> Um, immediately following the con- the conclusion of this episode, we'll pursue a PhD in <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Thank so you, Sally. It's, it's, it's a very it's good segue, Gordon, that yeah. you made um, you know, to kind of the Scandinavian um, data and also a point you mentioned earlier about you know, your geographic location and where you live because that's one of the other risk factors for seasonal affective disorder is how f- far north or south you are from the equator because... Mm. Um, I think we all know that the closer you are to the equator, I guess the fluctuation in um, seasons mm-hmm. and kind of the, mm-hmm. the, the daylight hours um, is diminished. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, for us living in mm-hmm. Canada, we're quite... Because, right, because the world is not flat, by the way. Yes, mm-hmm. yes there we go. <laughs> yeah, so for us living... Another PhD. Well. <laughs> <laughs> That's for you, Kyrie Irving. Sorry, Will, I had to do that. <laughs> no, any, anyway, yeah. So um, related to that, um, some of the other interesting risk factors... That noted, um, I guess, when I was looking this up, was that um, seasonal affective disorder seemed to be more common in people where where this condition ran in their families. Mm. So, if an individual mm. um, have relatives in their family who, with either seasonal affective disorder, major depression, or other mental illnesses um, such as schizophrenia, <laughs> um, it's the likelihood of that individual also having seasonal affective disorder is much higher Mm -hmm. yeah so would that be um one of the things that distinguishes sad from normal winter blues and like uh it actually combines with other complications like depression and anxiety yeah well i think sad is kind of i think we'll touch on it is almost like a subtype of major depression if i'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. yeah Um, that's kind of seasonal in nature um, that also overlaps with a lot of symptoms of depression. And we know that you know, depression is a mental illness. So um, it does make logical sense that um, there would be links to other mental illnesses, um, such as you know bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. Um, but I imagine that just like our you know talk five minutes ago, there's still a lot of research left to be done to see how exactly do these interact with each other and another interesting risk factor that i that i noted um was that it's it stated that sad occurs much more often in women compared to men mm-hmm. um you know this 
I like to open the, this this point here for discussion. <laughs> I know Linda、um, had some had some, had some comments about this one. I mean, firstly, I'd like to see a source for your information. Yes, we have evidence. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I think that this is probably really telling with how we talk about mental health within our society. Right? There's always those、um, gender differences and stigmas related to maybe men speaking out or、mm. obtaining a diagnosis or even. Hurdles in getting a diagnosis because seasonal affective disorder、um, may present differently in men than in women. So、mm. there's there's so much to unpack there. But what do you guys think? I, yes. So just to answer, so、uh, for our listeners out there, I didn't just pull this. Oh, I was kidding. This, uh, I was no, kidding. I know, no, I know, I know. <laughs> I don't want to get smoked. This this oh, is yeah, this yeah. um this point was from actually the Mayo Clinic. So、mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, Linda, like you you kind of allude to some of the complications here, like. Where men may be, you know, maybe less inclined to say that they're struggling with certain mental illnesses. But what I what I'm wondering is, I, I imagine it would be hard to make diagnoses for seasonal affective disorder because, as we mentioned earlier on, there's so much overlap with so many other、um, mental health、um, conditions.、Mm-hmm. So is there underrepresentation of that? Yeah. Also, too,、um, in order to Be diagnosed with seasonal affective disorder. You must have gone to a clinician to be diagnosed with seasonal affective disorder, and we know that for issues of mental health,、um, for whatever reason or another, men are less likely to pursue those kinds of supports, and as a result, they may there may be some underreporting there as well. It's less clear if there this these gender and sex differences are related to. Anything that's biological in nature, we know there is biological involvement with,、um, you know, melatonin and serotonin, but we don't know if there are some inherent、uh, gender differences that lead to these outcomes that we see. But、um, Sully will let us know in four years when he's done his PhD.、Uh, common theme: more research. <laughs> yeah, from Sully. Yeah. So、um, now that we've introduced the topic of seasonal affective disorder,、um, as we always. Like to ask ourselves, why, why, why care, right?、Mm. Why, why do we, why do we bother、um, talking about this topic? Why is it really significant? Like, what's the public health significance here, and why should、um, you know, kind of people interested in public health, or even just us as public public health professionals, be、um, mindful of this topic? So, as mentioned earlier, SAD is a type of depression that reoccurs annually based on seasons, and depression is a common illness worldwide, affecting over. 264 million people, and at its worst, depression could lead to suicide, as we mentioned in the previous episode, with over 800,000 people dying by suicide each year. So,、um, as we as we already mentioned, there's a lot of overlap, and there might be a lot of,、um, I guess, issues with diagnosis of seasonal affective disorder. So there might also be a underrepresentation of what the actual public health problem is. So it might be greater than we actually know of. Yeah, and then also when approaching interventions that we implement from a public health lens, it's important to take into account these types of、um, illnesses because of the overlap, as Lashawn and all of us mentioned in our previous conversation. Because if you target interventions, say specifically for suicide prevention or depression, you may also help individuals through unintended consequences who are suffering from、mm. SAD. So just understanding that nuance、mm. is important because. You, it gives、mm-hmm. you more options,、yeah. mm-hmm. and to bring it to bring it back to、um, seasonal affective disorder a bit 
from my research, it seems like um, the lifetime prevalence of um, SAD, which is basically um, the percentage of the population that is diagnosed over their life course, was about one to three percent. So it just shows that you know you might say one to three percent is not a um, a very large number, but then if you kind of take one percent of the world's population, that's you know that's millions of people mm-hmm. that are affected. So yeah. um, it just goes to show that um, yeah. it is a um, a public health issue. Yeah, I'm not even sure if that stat takes into account, I guess, the mm-hmm. latitude, or if um, like the further away you are from the equator, I'm guessing there's going to be higher percentages, like you're in Canada, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then that that also, um, in order to have a more accurate number we'd probably need to know the percentage of the world's population at the different latitudes to be able to make a better estimate mm-hmm. it's a good point because like regional differences for the prevalence of this um condition affect a lot of the interventions that you implement right at least we know in the um like above the equator in the temperate zone it's Ooh. it's like three to ten percent prevalence uh okay. of sad and like in a random country, mm. say Hungary, it would be like uh, 4.6%. So no. it's, it shows that how important it is to like t- uh, where you take your stats from. So if it's like in the temperate zone, um, which mm. is like in the above the equator, uh, mm. you're more likely going to find people with sad versus in the equator. So if you take the stat from the overall population of the globe, you're going to get one, mm. per- 1 to 3%, which is a low... You can say it's a low number relatively, but as you go up, you'll find uh, the prevalence increases. Right. So the overall population or the overall statistic doesn't take into account those um, regional differences. Yep. Yeah. The context. Context. And then like I mentioned Mm. earlier, there are kind of anomalies to that general rule of thumb where Mm -hmm. you have countries, Scandinavian countries that are um, further away from the equator that don't have the expected percentages of um, sad. So Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of different things to consider. Yeah. Mm. But when we talk about the Scandinavian countries and how, you know, we're at similar latitudes, but they perhaps have lower rates Mm. of seasonal affective disorder. Um, Will, I'm not sure if you remember how in MPHB studied vitamin D deficiency Mm -hmm. and how, um, which is, you know, similar with sunlight. And Mm -hmm. we saw how a lot of, Yes, it's biological, but the social and environmental factors played a really um, significant role in Mm. modifying the impact of vitamin D deficiency. And so I wonder what those social factors or environmental factors look like in Scandinavian countries where Mm. they're able to see perhaps the same, um, you know, latitude, maybe the same amount of sunlight, but the impact is different. So I wonder what's the modifier. Coming up with a nice point, because if you even think of maybe... The social norm is that people just take vitamin D as supplements, so it negates that whole effect mm-hmm. sunlight have. Maybe it's just more culturally appropriate to, um, you know, modify your diet or take nutrients to make up for any deficiency. So they're kind of it, it kind of buffers the effects of the lack of sunlight. Maybe mm-hmm. yeah, the social and environmental context is so important. And from what I read in Scandinavian countries, they have a they have interventions in place that kind of normalize this and. We'll get to this in a second, but they they have widely distributed things called light rooms, mm. which help, which may help. All right, let's keep going. Oh. Yeah. Well, smart I think guy. One thing I wanted to mention as well, I think, um, you know, as we were ta- even just discussing the the importance of having um, specific data, is 
I don't know if you guys picked it up, but even just um, in our in our dialogue, we tend to only mention the northern temperate zone.、Mm. I think it's important to also recognize that you know, for example,、True. there's massive populations in the southern temperate、mm-hmm. zone which might not even have like, which might not be represented in the data because、mm-hmm. they kind of just get forgotten when talking about this this topic,、mm-hmm. right?、It's, and I think large parts of you know, the world,、um, which is in the is in you know geographically located in the south,、mm-hmm. but Um, in terms of like the globe, they would be considered in the temperate zone. So,、uh, yeah, like,、mm-hmm. like like the reoccurring theme of this episode seems to be that the this need for more research and、um, also not only、um, isolating and just focusing the research in kind of temperate zones north of the equator, but、mm-hmm. even areas south of the equator, and、mm-hmm. and making that comparison to seeing if this is something that also affects the populations there. Mm. Yeah, I just wanted to throw that、mm. in there. And great,、uh, mm-hmm. great point. And shout out to our、Absolutely. listeners all across the world, by the way. Thank you for <laughs> tuning in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Another another point I want to talk about. Um. For the, I guess the significance of sad is that、uh, this is something I just learned. Um, preparing for the episode is that there are so many interrelationships between、um, depression and physical health. Mm-hmm. Um, and that depression was actually one of the most common comorbidities for many individuals dealing with, with dealing with chronic medical conditions such as cancer,、um, cardiovascular disorders, etc. And so、um, that that just got got me thinking that you know for an individual who might be undergoing treatment for these chronic conditions,、um, just just how sad can also impact just their overall. Mental and well-being,、mm. uh, in addition to them being, in, you know, in conditions where they're physically unwell. Like it impacts every aspect of your life. It's not like you can say, "Oh, well, depression or sad is just gonna, you know, impact my sleep." But it will also impact how you eat. You know, your relationships、mm. with other people, physical activity, which then leads to, you know, other、um, like illnesses within your body too. So yeah,、mm-hmm. it's. It impacts every aspect of your life. So, when talking about the public health significance, I think that it's a fairly large significance in public health. And it kind of ties back、mm. to what Ben said about you know suicide being one of those symptoms. So,、um, with seasonal affective disorder, because there's a lot of comorbidities that go along with it, you kind of have to use a multi-pronged approach to、um, And tailor it to the individual to ensure that all their other needs, health needs, are being met while you're、mm-hmm. treating sad.、Mm-hmm. Yeah.、Uh, the last point I wanted to touch on for this section is、um, considering the COVID nineteen context.、Mm. So, th-、um, mm. you know, for our current listeners, this is something that we're dealing with right now. And you know, for listeners in the future, <laughs> at, at the time <laughs> of recording in November twenty twenty, the world is currently in the middle of a pandemic, and.、Um, Depending on where you're, where you're living, restrictions such as lockdowns,、uh, you know, travel restrictions, public health measures are all in place. Just wanted to take this opportunity、um, now that I have the team here to see if there's anything we want to talk about in terms of、um, dealing with COVID as well as sad and just kind of that interaction there. Yikes.、Oh. Um. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's a complex one. Especially since it goes to a lot of treatment access, right? Re- regarding these lockdowns. Yeah, yeah. Like for yeah. example, if people who are mindful that they might have sad symptoms 
and their um, treatment is to either go to like these light rooms that LaShawn mentioned before or like maybe travel to a, a different country. Yeah. And they're unable to do that. How are they coping? Mm, right. Yeah. You know, I was really curious and I could not find information on this, but, you know, when COVID first hit us in the springtime, we were going into our summer, but, you know, people in Southern Hemisphere, they were going into their winter. Mm. So I was curious to see how COVID impacted things like SAD um, and how COVID in- interacted with with just the seasonal differences mm. um, in you know places like yeah. Australia, for example, who are just coming out of their winter as we are going in. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see if there was any um, just information to see how you know that experience was over there. But I couldn't quite find anything. But mm. it's I always forget anyway that our seasons are opposite. But they've encountered <laughs> right, this already. Right. So right, and you almost mm-hmm. wonder too, from a personal level. You're socially withdrawn. Maybe you're eating more, whatever. You're exercising less. And it's just like, is it because things are closed and there's not much to do and you feel a little down? Or is it because you're experiencing um, winter blues that could maybe turn into something more chronic like seasonal affective disorder? So there's a lot of confounding um, stuff because of COVID that makes it hard to tease out. But I know something that Ben likes to hammer home about is um, the importance of kind of using you know um, technology in terms of in terms of telemedicine to increase access yeah. to healthcare providers during times where it might be more difficult to access them so mm. for sure if you're feeling down yeah. uh, reach out to your healthcare provider and get some help yeah i'm just thinking about just the stress levels of you know individuals worrying about this pandemic and we're relating that back to some of the risk factors of seasonal affective disorder like we mentioned like the circadian rhythm your serotonin levels, your melatonin levels, and deficits mm. in vitamin D. COVID nineteen, as Gordon alluded to, you might you might be limited to and restricted indoors for the most part. And especially now, going back to our perspective in Canada, um, we have winter and it's very cold outside for in, during Canadian winters. Are you as likely to go out on your usual mm-hmm. walk or or hike? Will you be able to get? Um, you know, vitamin D through the sunshine, mm-hmm. if you're not doing that as often, um, has has the COVID-19 um, stress led to s- differences in, you know, your yeah. sleeping patterns and, you know, your overall biological clock. So um, there, I could see some sort of relationship sure. here, but um, of, of course, this is all new and new to everyone. So as we mentioned before, more research is probably needed. Yeah, uh, it's a very good point. And I think even just things that we saw at the beginning of the pandemic kind of come to surface where organizations like the WHO were having concerns regarding, you know, prolonged periods of lockdown resulting Mm. in alcohol or drug misuse, um, more complex family or relational conflicts, things like Mm. that. And I can just uh, imagine how, um, you know, with the changing seasons and um, the seasonal spin on things, in, in combination with COVID, how these um, concerns might be you know, compounded. Mm. And going back to what Linda mentioned mm-hmm. about the, the point from, uh, you know, looking at Australia or countries in the Southern Hemisphere, which who have already gone through the winters, I think that's a really good opportunity for um, you know, researchers or clinicians in this field to you know, look to for best practices or examples or tips for how they might have gone through this period and hopefully bring that over to our context if appropriate. 
cool. So now you know we've we kind of discussed what SAD is, and we've talked about its significance as a public health concern.、Um, let's talk about if there are ways to treat SAD, and if not, for us as public health professionals, let's look at it from a lens of prevention and how can we work to you know, to prevent these symptoms and and whatnot. I know Lashawn was has been itching to talk about you know, these, these <laughs> prevention. So take it away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, before we even get there, I want to point out that there's actually、um, something called the Seasonal Pattern Assessment Questionnaire, also known as the SPAQ, that was developed by Rosenthal and his colleagues in 1984. And that assessment or questionnaire is it continues to be used widely. And so this is basically a retrospective, self-administered tool. That screens for、um, seasonal affective disorder, and it's widely available and and、um, in the public domain. So some of these questions that can be done by a researcher, self-assessment, and、um, by your physician at a medical checkup,、um, it really talks about.、Um, it compares the seasonality to the different moods you're experiencing, or the different activities you usually do, such as sleep,、um, weight gain,、um, weight loss. Um, how are you feeling generally? Do you eat less? Do you eat more? Your sleep length, your social activity, and your overall energy level. So these are some of the factors that are assessed with this.、Um, so I th- I think that、um, this this can definitely be used as a part.、Um, and I I'm not sure if a lot of you know clinicians or researchers、mm-hmm. are aware of this tool. And it's a common thing that I don't know if any of you have been. Um, ever in your life, when you went to a doctor's office, been、right. given this assessment, but I think given the public health significance of this, it's something that should be looked into more, especially when we're starting to talk about different treatment options and prevention. And、mm-hmm. I think just a cl- point of clarification, I think because it's a screening tool, it's not it's not a diagnostic tool in the in the sense of if you checked all the boxes, you're you are diagnosed with seasonal affective disorder. Um, it's、right. just kind of it's、mm-hmm. a way for even as an independent、uh, patient, for you to、um, assess your kind of symptoms to determine if you need to consult with your head- healthcare provider for additional help, and then at that point they、exactly. will go through a more thorough diagnostic kind of workup,、um, which might include stuff like blood work to see、um, if you are or should be diagnosed with seasonal affective disorder. And、um, what some of those underlying causes are, whether it's you know、uh, vitamin D deficiencies or other reasons. So, in terms of actual treatment, then,、um, what are from the research? What has the team seen、um, is to be some of the appropriate categories of treatment out there available for this, or if there are, or are there any? Bibliotherapy. <laughs> Yo, don't kill me. <laughs> so, sorry. So let me hop on the light therapy since I since I already alluded to it.、Um, yeah. So like I alluded to earlier,、um, there's there's this intervention called light therapy or phototherapy, and it's basically、um, a light box, a special light box that when you're exposed to this bright light, especially、um, when you first wake up each morning. It helps kind of mimics the natural outdoor light that would be present, and which would affect our brain chemicals. So these are one of the treatments commonly used、uh, to treat seasonal affective disorder. And typically, individuals may have the special light box. And of course,、um, this light box is special in the sense that it,、uh, you know, shields you from the UV light. It doesn't include that as part of the spectrum of the light wave,、um, just because. 
UV light can affect your eyes and、mm-hmm. cause adverse effects. But typically in the morning, an individual would sit by this light box while watching TV or, you know, whenever, they, whenever in the day that they、uh, feel it more convenient for them and in consultation with their healthcare provider.、Um, but it's been shown、um, to be pretty promising. In many different、um, situations.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another point of distinction with light therapy is there is light therapy used to treat、uh, you know, chronic skin, skin conditions like psoriasis. And in those situations, light、mm. therapy does include some level of、um, UV radiation、uh, as part of the treatment. But with phototherapy, specifically in the case of seasonal affective disorder, Um, there is a filter to block out UV light because UV light can cause、um, skin and eye damage and can cause ultimately、yeah. um, skin cancer, which is why、um, tanning is not recommended.、Um, but yeah, so there are a wide range of benefits from that type of light that's used in phototherapy. And I believe、um, listening to all the experts in the field, whenever you're buying a light box, you should get something with、um, 10,000 lux.、Um, that's kind of the、mm-hmm. standard. Gold standard for light box、uh, therapy equipment.、Um, so, before you even do that, though, check with your healthcare provider and make sure、um, you get、um, something that f- best fits your needs. Yeah, have, you, have any of you come across any of these light boxes? I've seen them on Amazon, but I was a little skeptical because I had not yet consulted with my healthcare provider. There you、um, go. But it's definitely something、mm-hmm. that I want to try. Like, I do definitely experience a lot of these symptoms. And so,、um, Yes,、yeah, something that I'm open、yeah. to exploring. You know what? That's a, it's a good, it's mighty, we're in an opportune time too, eh, Linda? Because you're, it might be a little clunky to, for something that you want to take to work, you know, when before、mm-hmm. COVID, when a lot of people had to go to the office to work. Now, a lot of people working from home, it's、exactly. probably a perfect opportunity、mm-hmm. to set it up、um, next to your workstation、uh, and see if、um, there's any benefits to you. So,、um, yeah, that's something、right. I'm probably looking to myself.、Mm-hmm. One of the other you know, categories of treatment for SAD、um, mm. appears to be medication,、mm. right?、Um, both、mm-hmm. from, the, from the lens of SAD being a form of seasonally a, a recurring depression.、Mm-hmm. So, some individuals who experience sub- severe symptoms、um, have shown to benefit from antidepressant treatment and medications, obviously, having been prescribed by a professional. Um, on the other hand,、um, you know, for just the unique nature of SAD, taking vitamin D has also shown to have positive effects for individuals.、Um, once again, th- the data is not super robust in the、mm-hmm. sense. So,、mm-hmm. um, there needs to be more、um, rigorous testing for this. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. An, an aspect of that that I、uh, found interesting is that usually with medications, it's always prescribed, right? You need to see a clinician. And going back to your point with COVID 19, is like, how do you have access to that、mm-hmm. clinician, right? Like, do you need a prescription for serotonin reuptake inhibitors? Or if you don't have access to that, how can you just get over the counter vitamin D? Like, there's、mm-hmm. a lot more、um, options available rather than just the strict depression medication. Yeah,、right. and the key thing with vitamin D that a lot of times gets missed is it's, it's a point of diminishing returns with vitamin Ds. If you don't have a vitamin D deficiency, The benefits for you might not be as good as someone who does have a, a, a deficiency in vitamin D. So that's why it's always important to consult with your healthcare provider and get some blood work done to see if it's something that might benefit you so that you don't、mm-hmm. go in with kind of、um, big expectations of what might happen. 
Yeah, and also you don't want to be consuming too much vitamin D because that could lead to overtoxicity. Mm-hmm. Even though it's natural, natural stuff can <laughs> be bad in high quantities. Mm-hmm. Everything in moderation. But Ben, you did highlight mm-hmm. some access issues in terms of we keep saying, you know, check with your healthcare provider, but do you have access to a healthcare provider? So that's definitely another lens to be considered. No, absolutely. And they're like, how many people have family physicians? We often take that for granted, yeah. right? Or can you go into a walk-in anymore mm-hmm. with COVID-19 mm-hmm. lockdowns or um, those restrictions yeah. as well? But, but the, the, so that, that is one point. But I will say um, it's also important to know that there are people accessing health services, but don't mention mm-hmm. their struggles with depression. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. at the very least, mm-hmm. we hope that those people, that subset that does have access to um, healthcare services, um, would perhaps mention that in their appointments if it's something mm-hmm. that's on their mind. It's okay to talk about, yeah. Mm-hmm. What other categories of treatment have, I guess, are kind of commonly used for SAD? Um, so I guess just with depression in general, psychotherapy mm-hmm. is a pretty common treatment method, um, specifically CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy, which essentially just helps people to identify their thought patterns and how that influences their behavior and to see the relationship between Mm -hmm. the two. Um, Specifically working on the more negative thought patterns or mind traps and then trying to flip them so that they can be more beneficial, Um, which could help people, you know, learning different behavioral ways to cope with symptoms, um, such as like, you know, reducing some avoidance behaviors and you may be like wanting to stay in and not meet your regular scheduled appointments like that might help to address some of those symptoms Mm -hmm. um so and you know for the most part cbt has has um it's often recommended because it generally tends to work Mm. um but again with access there's a cost involved so Mm. it may not be an option for everyone but i think that it's definitely something to consider if if you have the means to access it Mm. yeah And cognitive behavioral therapy is quite effective when it comes to seasonal affective disorder. There was a study done where um, individuals were undergoing six weeks of CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy in a group setting during two 90-minute sessions, and they found it to be as effective as 30 minutes of the 10,000 Lux um, lighting box that we were talking about earlier. So it's definitely an option um, that we can consider. Mm. Mm-hmm. I will say, too, that, you know, a combination of uh, different methods probably Mm -hmm. would be more effective than just one in isolation. And so Mm -hmm. let's say for someone that is psychotherapy and light therapy or for others that could be medication and psychotherapy. So it's not a one size fits all. And I think it's important just to highlight that what works for you may be different than what works for someone Mm -hmm. else. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Very good point. Um, Just to wrap up team here. Um. I'd like to just briefly touch upon prevention, right? Mm-hmm. Um, seeing that uh, seasonal affective disorder is one of those things that is recurring every year at roughly the same times, um, given um, you know, the seasons. And people who have witnessed a history or have a history of SAD, I think it would benefit and it would be a, a very you know, upstream public health preventative approach to start considering mm. some of these treatments um, leading up to that that period of time right mm. because typically they because yeah. they occur at the same time every year you almost yeah. have something to um, like kind of know 
mm. and so have something What's to coming. expect mm. it. Yeah, yeah, to expect. Yeah. So I think that's a, and I think that's a very um, valid and valuable um, approach for for preventing this condition. Mm. Yeah, in, mm. in regards to prevention, one we made a point earlier regarding Scandinavian countries and how they approach SAD. And one thing I found really interesting is that they implement prevention within their culture. Mm. So I forget the country. One of you guys can feel free to correct me, but they, Norway. Yeah, I believe is Norway. They promote um, actually going outside with friends and whatnot wow. mm. to make sure that you have um, certain time just spent outside in the sunlight, whether it's by yourself or with friends. And they have an actual word for it. And I'm not going <laughs> to pronounce the word because I'm obviously going to butcher right. it. But it's interesting how, like, we were talking about the differences in prevention for geographical mm-hmm. regions and why maybe Scandinavian countries are better at handling SAD than North American countries or even countries in the south, southern poles. So, yeah, those are cases that we can look at and kind of investigate. I hate so to be a downer. Oh, yeah. I hate to be a downer. <laughs> oh, downer but, alert. Um, on the flip side, don't get me sad. As you know, um, for the health unit, um, a lot of my work revolves around sun safety. And Norway's in mm. the top three for um, skin cancer rates because of um, sun exposure. So there's there's well, you got me down. there's there's a balancing act between <laughs> getting the sunlight. You, sun the sunlight can be very beneficial to you, but also very um, harmful. So it's about putting yourself in a position where you can maximize the benefits of sun exposure and minimize the. Um, the harms associated mm-hmm. with sun exposure. Then mm-hmm. I think what I'm gathering from what you're saying is that instead of the onus of prevention only being on an individual to bring it up, if we could include more prevention activities within, you know, within the culture, within society, then it's more likely that people in general would be able to access them. Yeah, absolutely. Because we're a lot of the conversation has been like clinical mm-hmm. access, yeah. healthcare mm-hmm. access, check with your clinician and stuff, and obviously do. But I think we from know a that's public not health, equitable, 30, right? feet. Yeah, exactly. It's not equitable. And also like, you know, there's so much overlap that will a clinician is a clinician properly trained to identify sad? You know, are they just focused on more yeah. depression? Like there's so yeah. many nuances that yeah. I think um, more lifestyle changes would be beneficial. But as Gordon mentioned, always in yeah, moderation. Right. Yeah. When, when, we're, when we're talking about prevention, I, I think it's. It's very valuable to talk about some of the things that we can do in our day-to-day lives mm-hmm. that can help. So one of the things um, that I came across was the fact that you can make environmental modifications at your own home, like we kind of mentioned um, for the fall safety episodes. You can make these modifications to, for example, modify and maximize the amount of sunlight you're getting. Mm-hmm. For example, keeping your curtains open for longer periods during the day. I know that in my room, I have blackout blinds. Nice. And so um, I keep those blinds down all the time. But after learning more and more about um, the importance of, um, you know, a safe amount of sunlight exposure and seasonal affective disorder, I'm going to make it a conscious effort to um, lift those blinds up during the day so I can um, reap the benefits of Mm -hmm. sunlight when we're talking about vitamin D. All of those points everyone's mentioning kind of ties back nicely to what will mentioned so if there's kind of a degree of predictability in terms of when more mm-hmm. people are going to be effective af- affected by um, winter blues or seasonal affective disorder we can kind of time public health messaging to target those periods so mm-hmm. that people are most aware when they're likely to be affected by these things so yeah. um, in, in, in the extreme cases we talked about needing to see healthcare providers and you know to get medications and stuff like that but on the more milder side of maybe, 
you know, like the winter blues, which does affect, it's less severe, but it affects more people. Maybe something as simple as routinely opening your windows when the sun rises and stuff like that. Um, providing those messaging to people can help uh, at least stave off that portion of it. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you mentioned messaging as well, because one of the things I was curious about is the stigma or, uh, revolving around this disorder um, is that, you know, because it's seasonal, is there a conversation or perspective that, oh, you'll just get over it oh. in winter? So, like it's, oh, it's know. normal or whatever. Mm. And then educating not only the mm. individuals who suffer from this illness, but people who have no idea of what is even going on and educating them to be not as you know, ignorant on the issue, I think is also important for public health me- messaging. Ben, you raise an amazing point. So all the public health insight listeners, make sure you share this episode with all your friends and family members. Oh. <laughs> That's what you wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> on a more serious note, so more to Ben's point, right? So a lot of, in terms of stigma, um, I also know people who miss a lot of time off work um, mm-hmm. because of seasonal affective disorder. And the general discourse in the workplace is that person x doesn't like to show up to work during these periods of periods of time um not kind of recognizing that this mm. is like a actual chronic disease and disorder and that it's not really like the person is just choosing to just be um to cause inconvenience in the workplace um it's something that they're struggling with and um there probably needs to be a little bit more dialogue about treating this thing as an actual condition right imagine if you know the workplaces were able to modify someone's mm. work schedule mm-hmm. or had light boxes or things mm. like that oh. to accommodate for people to still, you know, live with the conditions they experience, live with seasonal affective disorder, but like the best way mm. they know how. Mm-hmm. I promise yeah. we're not trying to get a light box sponsorship, but if it might happen, <laughs> to, <laughs> might happen. That's, that's fine. <laughs> and as much as we talked about, you know, um, winter pattern, seasonal affective disorder, I think it's important and valuable for us to reiterate that this is only a portion of the broader discussion right mm-hmm. um, as we mentioned earlier there is a whole nother side of this condition that affects individuals in the spring and summertime mm. so yeah i think it's just there's so much more research that needs to be be done so much more um you know proper messaging to you know, get the the accurate information across and just you know improve public health communication and knowledge exchange mm. Yeah, so as we discussed today, seasonal affective disorder is more than simply having the winter blues. This is a complex and seasonal specific form of depression. As we enter the winter months and continue with life during this pandemic, continue to take care of yourself and your loved ones. Please seek help if needed. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for informative conversations, inspiring community action. If you enjoy our content and would like to stay up to date, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. To learn more about our community initiatives and how you can support us, visit our website at thepublichealthinsight.com. Join the PHI community and let's make public health viral.